Well, all right. Hello out there, and welcome to the Cotton Companion Podcast. Uh, this is Beck Barnes and Jim Stebman of Cotton Grower, and we are coming at you from the internationally acclaimed Cotton Companion Studios right here in Memphis, Tennessee, where we've actually had a, a little spell of nice weather. I didn't know what to do with myself over the weekend. It wasn't raining for the first time in a while. Uh, although, uh, you know, it's there's more ahead, actually. There's going to be supposed to be raining on us for the first better part of this week today being March 9. So we will probably be swimming to work again uh, now that I've, you know, enjoyed two days of sunshine. But whether you are joining us from the Boot Hill or the Cap Rock or anywhere else in the Cotton Belt, we are happy to have you with us. Uh, I am joined today, as always, by the hardest working man in the cotton industry, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Hello, Beck. And I'm sure I'm sure there had to be a honeydew list involved for you this weekend with all that nice weather. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of husbands around Memphis who could probably, around the Mid-South, who can sympathize with that. Yeah, there were uh, uh, a long bullet point list, uh, <laughs> multi-page bullet point honeydew list. Uh, that I tried to get in there on the, the one uh, sunshiny, warm weekend out Organi- there. Organized by priority, of course. Yeah, of course. So the yard looks, I would, <clears throat> I would give it a fair to middling uh, grade on the yard at the moment, but uh, we will we'll make it through. Hopefully I'll get some more sunshine in the next weekend. So Absolutely. Um, but uh, as I say, we're here in this office. I mentioned <clears throat> said it goes the first, or the, rather the second full week of March, and the two of us are pretty freshly back from the Memphis Gin Show, the Mid-South Farm and Gin Show. Uh, where we heard some good market analysis from uh, Mr. Joe Nicosia. That was analysis that did not necessarily leave us with the warm and fuzzies. Um, and then, sure enough, today, I mean, the gin show was two two weeks two ago, week, two weekends ago, about yes. uh, eight or nine days ago now. And uh, sure enough, today the markets generally are in disarray. Not just the ag markets, of course, but uh, the, the markets general. Uh, are in disarray thanks in a very large part to this coronavirus. We know that there's no doubt you guys have been hearing about that and reading about it, not only the health impact, but the surrounding economic fallout. And uh, it has, yeah, it's it's kind of wreaking economic havoc around the world at the moment, um, including, unfortunately, our industry, the ag markets. So we're going we're gonna to break that down a little later. Uh, but the first thing we need to do is to pay some bills. So we want to bring you a very short message from our sponsors, the fine folks at Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. All right, we appreciate our sponsors today. That's the the aforementioned Phytogen brand Cottonseed, as well as the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, a program from Cotton Incorporated. Uh, for now, as we always do, we're going to hear a follow-up to that Phytogen ad. Uh, we're going to check in with our custom content editor, Robin Sichtberg, and she recently sat down and spoke with Mr. Chris Main, a Phytogen cotton development specialist for West Tennessee and North Alabama. So we're going to bring you that custom content interview right now. Hi, I'm Robin Sipper, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. My guest today is Dr. Chris Main, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist covering West Tennessee and North Alabama. Welcome to the program, Chris. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me with you today. Of course. Growers across the cotton belt are getting ready for the 2020 season. And um, my question for you today is what do growers need to keep in mind as they approach the planting time? 
Robin, there are a few key items that I like to remind growers of this time of year as we get close to planting season. The first is to start off with a good early burn down program because this is key to having a weed free field at planting. I like for growers to focus on the tough to control weeds such as horseweed, henbit, Italian ryegrass, and annual bluegrass. Next, we want to make sure that soil temperatures in the seed zone are in the mid-60s and we have a favorable three to five day weather forecast with warm and dry conditions. Finally, we want to plant quality seed at a uniform depth in the soil so that we can have rapid and consistent emergence of the cotton crop. Well, and of course, when you're talking about planting seed, the question comes, what variety of seeds should you plant? So what do you recommend for your particular geography? There are two varieties that fit particularly well um, in my geography. Uh, Phytogen 360, uh, Wide Strike 3 Flex and List, performs well um, in our highly productive soils and can really be pushed with inputs of irrigation for high yield. Uh, 360 has breeding traits that deliver resistance to verticillium wilt, bacterial blight, and root knot nematodes in our area. The second variety that's important for us is Phytogen 400 Wide Strike 3 Flexibility. Um, it has similar breeding traits for bacterial blight and root knot nematode resistance, and it is one of the most widely adapted varieties uh, to all planting situations in the Mid-South based on trial results for 2019. Good. It's excellent to have some options and particularly one that offers so much flexibility um, and covers a broad variety of conditions. So we are out of time now, but I want to thank you so much for being on the program and growers can always go to phytogen.com for more variety information. Thank you, Robin. Okay, a big thank you to Robin and to Chris and to Phytogen there. And uh, with that, we're going to get the ball rolling uh, on this, the 67th episode of the Cotton Companion. And, and boy, we got a lot to get into. It really is, um, we're, we're covering a lot of bases today. In um, a very short period of time, yes. In a very short period of time, that's right. So uh, as always, Jim is going to lead us in our news segment where possible topics include but are not limited to uh, Sonny Purdue and some uh, uh, market facilitation payment rumblings that we have heard of. Uh, we'll also maybe talk about the USDA early projected acreage numbers, and we'll have some thoughts on burndown strategies, not not our own, but rather uh, res- respected <laughs> extension folks, uh, some early thoughts on burndown strategies because, oh yeah, there's a crop to be planted here before too long. Um, so after that, we're going to bring y'all an interview that Jim conducted recently when he sat down with our old friend and my very favorite Mississippi State Bulldog, Dr. O.A. Cleveland. Uh, O.A., as always, uh, had a very insightful, very frank column, t- uh, to be sure, just last week, uh, where he did. it wasn't a verbatim of what Joe Nicosia ran down at the gin show, but I believe they arrived at some of the same conclusions, uh, namely that we may be in a uh, bearish cotton market, at least in the near term. So uh, we're going to let him really get into the weeds of that column that he pinned uh, when when we bring you that interview that Jim conducted with him, and that'll be later on in the podcast. Uh, I will say, um, uh, by, by way, I guess a little bit of setting that setting up that interview a little later. You know, as I mentioned a week and a half ago, we were excited to attend the Mid South, excuse me, Mid South Farm and Gin Show which is put on by the great folks at the Southern Cotton Ginners Association. Uh, one of the highlights of that show is always the uh, market report, market analysis delivered by Mr. Joe Nicosia of Louis Dreyfus Commodities. And I, I believe most of y'all know who Joe is. 
Uh, to put it briefly, when Joe speaks, I and we are all ears because uh, we don't know of anybody who has a better grasp on sort of the real-world global forces that are impacting our cotton market. Um, if you ever have a chance to attend one of those uh, uh, speaking engagements from Joe, you look down in the front row, there's a good chance either Jim or myself is going to be down there because, uh, again, we, we listen when he speaks. So uh, this, this year was no different. Joe took the stage there at the uh, Farm and Gin Show. And uh, for about a half hour, he's going through his global supply-demand numbers. And, I mean, I'm, you know, I got my recorder going. I'm listening with just bated breath. And uh, to be sure, he's painting a fairly rosy picture. I don't. Jim's nodding his head. I am nodding my head. Yeah. It was, you know, it was it was starting to feel good there for a while. Yeah, I mean, I was I, honestly like I was excited about the story that we were going to write. Um, he was, uh, you know, to give you some bullet points, he has faith in the phase, and to be sure, he does. He, he has faith in that phase one trade deal. He laid out very uh, granular numbers. Uh, about why China has the does have the will and appetite for all of those ag purchases, some eighty billion dollars in promised ag purchases over two years, and to be sure, I have heard a lot of skepticism about those numbers. I myself have been skeptical about those numbers, but it it kind of changed my mind to hear Joe laying out those numbers and saying, "Hey, they they do want to make those purchases. They if they get the chance, they will." And he uh, he also laid out a pattern. And this is uh, probably a little uh, above my, uh, again, Ole Miss math uh, ability to relay what he was saying. But there was a pattern that indicated that the ag markets are due for a rebound. Um, Conditions right now mirror those of several previous seasons that saw a significant market rebound or uptick uh, over the past like two decades. He laid out like four or five times that markets have mirrored exactly what they have done for the past two years in each of those times there was an upswing in, in the ag commodities. And uh, again, I'm summing this up uh, without including numbers. Um, and I know it seems kind of broad and vague, but trust me, Joe made a very thorough case for a potential bull market. It's also hard to use the PowerPoint on, you know, when you're doing an audio podcast. Yeah, 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 we, can't, we have no, no point of reference for yeah, you to look at yeah, at this he, point. To me, <laughs> and as an aside, he does a great job of that. He litters um, little funny slides in of references, you know, some movie or some crazy Yogi Berra quote or something. And he does a much better job <laughs> of saying what I'm trying to summarize here than I can. Uh, but, you know, he did mention that the only thing holding us back at this moment was this business of COVID-19, the coronavirus, which is impeding um, a lot of the uh, production and spinning uh, there in China and the rest of, I think it's Southeast Asia. And it's just kind of putting a hold on those ag purchases, which he believes were poised to happen. So, you know, as I'm sitting there and listening to this, and the only the only negative he's mentioned is he keeps saying once we get past this coronavirus. So I'm going, you know, we get past that in a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, maybe a month. Um, boy, we're off to the races. I mean, in my mind, and I'm not kidding here, I'm sitting here thinking of uh, headlines that I can workshop with Stedman for this awesome story <laughs> he's going to write, you know, like uh, something punny, like Joe Joe rides the bull or something, you know, like a bull, bull market on its way. <clears throat> And because, uh, you know, to be sure, to, I feel good when I bring y'all good news. I'm, I love, you know, telling our farming audience that uh, some good prices are on the way. And so we were getting happy about maybe getting to write that story. And then uh, suddenly it's like he flipped a switch and Joe goes into this portion of his speech where he starts penciling out cotton versus alternative crops. And uh, this was a part of speech, uh, his speech that honestly I... 
I would rather not repeat uh, to our audience, cotton farming audience. But, uh, you know, what he was saying, uh, he made a good case for this. Uh, basically, to summarize, he believes that cotton doesn't pencil out as profitably or profitably at all for many American growers when compared to other crops, particularly corn, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and he made a very thorough and, and uh, salient case, you know, I mean, uh, honestly, uh, my reaction as I was listening to it, um, or in immediate aftermath, was it, it was it took some um, some guts to stand on that stage at the invitation of the Southern Cotton Generous Association and say what he said, which was he didn't know if it was smart for a lot of folks in that room to plant cotton. Um, of course, you know, he said that on what was it, March one or two. Mm-hmm. Right at the end of February. Sure, and we know that in the real world, a lot of y'all got a million dollars in cotton-specific harvest equipment sitting under the shed out there or something approaching that number, and there's a lot of other real-world factors that go into um, what you're going to plant, your planting decisions, and so I don't think Joe magically erased millions of acres out there uh, with his speech. Um, Nonetheless, it was a bold thing to say, and I I credit him for having the guts to stand there and deliver that Mm -hmm. Uh, report. Um, so, you know, that's a summary of what Joe said. Did you think I leave, left anything important out, Jim? No, I don't think so. And we'll, uh, we'll get, you know, we'll come back and revisit this just a little bit when we get into uh, our discussion with OA, uh, simply because, like you said, uh, the two of them are kind of walking down the same road together at this point. And, uh, you know, it, it's a volatile issue, volatile market right now, and things are changing weekly, which is one of the reasons we uh, we circle back around to uh, to try to get a, a feel for what's happening now, right? Yeah, two <laughs> as weeks opposed ago. to two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago in our last podcast, we had a great interview with Dr. Ron, John Robinson, who kind of summarized the uh, commodity markets, cotton market at that time. But it's two weeks later. <laughs> it's two weeks later, and everything's changed. Yeah. So uh, so anyhow, in addition to uh, that interview that Jim has with OA later. Jim is also going to have a much more thorough um, breakdown of Joe's speech in our April issue, which is due in y'all's mailboxes here in a few weeks now. Um, It's the second week of March, so it'll be about a month before that thing's in y'all's mailboxes, but just keep an eye out for it. Um, Jim has a very thorough breakdown. You have just gotten the dime store summary (laughs) from me. So now uh, we want to leave that where it is. We're going to bring y'all, we're, now we want to hear rather from our sponsors at Cotton Inc. Uh, before we dive into the news. So we will go and hear about the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol right now. As a U.S. cotton producer, you already produce one of the most responsibly grown fibers on the planet. Enroll in the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol and show the world how you grow. The U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol helps market your cotton to the growing list of brands, retailers, and consumers demanding sustainably produced fibers in today's marketplace. Enroll now at TrustUSCotton.org. That's TrustUSCotton.org. The U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. Are you in? Okay, so again, a huge shout out to our new sponsors, Our friends at Cotton Incorporated, who do so much heavy lifting on behalf of our industry, Uh, this U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol is just another, maybe the latest example of the extra effort that they give to build demand for our crop, which is so vital to our industry, and we are proud to have them as a sponsor. 
So, Jim, without further ado, uh, hit us with the news of the day, please. I will do that. We're going to start today with another U.S. cotton acreage projection for 2020. Uh, during the USDA Agricultural Outlook Forum, which I think corresponded to the same dates as the Mid-South Farm and Gin Show, uh, the agency disclosed its early projection. This is a preliminary projection for U.S. cotton planted uh, in 2020. They're predicting 12.5 million acres, which is 9% below last year, and as they say, the smallest area since uh, to be planted since 2016. They noted that cotton futures prices from mid-January through mid-February were nearly 5.5% below price expectations uh, the same time last year. And in that same period, price declines for corn and soybeans were smaller, as, you, as we've noted already, indicating alternative crops are going to be relatively more competitive this year. And other contributing factors to uncertainty obviously include production issues and results from last year, uh, the effects of the Trade One Trade Agreement, and again, the impact of the coronavirus on, uh, on the cotton market. Um, in that USDA analysis, that 12.5 million acres are estimated to result in harvested acreage of about 11 million acres, uh, with a projected abandonment rate of approximately 12.5%. That's based on regional long-run averages, with the exception of the southwest area, where 2020 abandonment is projected at 19%, which is still down from 23% last year. Uh, so based on those average yields, USDA is forecasting a projected crop of 19.5 million bales, 3% below 2019. Uh, from an overall perspective, smaller crops are expected for most of the cotton belt this year, with the exception of the southwest, where cotton production could rise to its second highest on record. Now, this again is just a, uh, their early projections, and the final look at uh, 2020 acreage projections comes with USDA's prospective plantings report that's due out on March 31st. And that's, that's the report that's always based on a survey of producer planting intentions. That survey work is now underway, and I'm sure, Beck, that we'll be dissecting that in our first podcast of April. Yeah, yeah, I would bet so. I mean, what did you say, 12 12-5? 12-5. 12-5, to be sure. I mean, you you might have mentioned it earlier, but that's directly in between our projection and the council's projection. We projected 12.1, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, anything north of 12 is still a it's a big acreage year to me. I mean, maybe I'm old-fashioned in that way, but I mean, I've been since I've been paying attention to this, this stuff since 2008, I would say between 10 to 12 million is about the average to me. And so anything north of that 12, good acreage year, despite all of the, you know, kind of bearish market conditions. Absolutely. Anyway, moving ahead, uh, we know that uh, growers are getting, trying, anxiously awaiting opportunities to get into the field. Uh, it's still been wet here in the Mid-South. Uh, there are some, uh, some growers, obviously, in the southeast that I believe are, are out doing some preliminary work. Uh, folks out in South Texas are already blowing and going and, and, and getting cotton in the ground. But uh, just as we, uh, as, we, as we start moving into the, the season for burn down, uh, extension, uh, Tennessee Extension Weed Specialist Larry Stackel recently uh, posted a blog on the UT Crops website and outlined three reasons why growers really should think about adjusting their burndown strategy for 2020. And the primary reason for all of this comes down to dicamba. Now here's his reasoning. First of all, the reason dicamba was used in a burndown initially was for horseweed control. Today, most Mid-South cotton and soybean acres 
are planted to either an extend variety or an enlist variety. And depending on the technology, horseweed can now be easily removed in crop with Dicamba 2,4-D or Liberty. Second, it's becoming clear that the long-time use of Dicamba plus glyphosate as a burn down has now selected for weeds that can survive and thrive. And that's especially true with grasses like ryegrass, poa, jungle grass, barnyard grass, and goose grass. He's now suggesting glyphosate or glyphosate tank mixed with clethodum has the best chance of controlling those grasses before the crop submerges and also using a residual that has good grass activity. And finally, from a financial standpoint, he strongly suggests saving the money on using dicamba before planting or even at planting uh, as it will likely hinder your grass control. Uh, in 2019, grasses and pigweed in some fields often escape that initial post-application of dicamba plus glyphosate, and as such, there were often second or third post-applications needed to control the escapes. As Larry says, the money used on dicamba in the early burn down can really be put to better use in these follow-up applications, particularly since he believes grass and pigweed control are going to be even more of an issue this spring. Uh, you can certainly see uh, see more details. You can see his his blog, his blog is currently posted on cottongrower.com. I suggest you uh, you go there to uh, to pull it up and take a look at some of his uh, other thoughts and recommendations for burn down. Uh, next, we're gonna we're gonna move east. We're going over to North Carolina, where the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services has launched a pilot program for cottonseed quality testing, and that's beginning with this 2020 season. The program is a cooperative effort between seed companies and the state with the goal of improving transparency for growers regarding seed quality with intentions to collect samples from and provide third-party seed quality testing for all cotton seed lots sold and planted in North Carolina. As part of this voluntary pilot program, Seed companies will notify the state's plant industry division before any of their brand's seed lots arrive in North Carolina and provide inspectors with the variety name, lot number, origin, point of arrival, and other data. State inspectors will then collect samples for testing for warm and cool germ, and once the sample is collected, the seed can then be treated, <coughs> distributed, sold, and planted before the germ tests are, are completed. Uh, which would take approximately 12 days. A guy Collins, who's the North Carolina State Extension Cotton Specialist, noted that official test results should be on file for most or all seed lots planted in North Carolina. With that information being publicly available on a state Department of Ag website that will be updated nightly as seed quality tests are concluded, that will allow real-time access and improve transparency and protection for growers and for seed companies on the seed varieties that they want to plant in the state. And more information on the program, if, you, if you're looking for it, uh, go to the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services website, uh, and you will also be able to find updates to the program on the North Carolina State University Cotton Portal website. And finally, as Beck mentioned, uh, our friend Sonny Perdue is, uh, is, is back in the news to a certain extent. Uh, he recently appeared before the House Agriculture Committee to provide his, his annual update on the state of the rural economy. Acknowledging that 2019, as, as we all know, was a difficult year for American agriculture, 
due to severe weather events, trade uncertainties, but noted that USDA was using tools at its disposal in an attempt to provide relief to producers during these challenging times. Now, regarding rumors of additional aid due to continuing trade and market uncertainties, Purdue again cautioned against expecting a third market facilitation program in 2020, noting his belief that MFP was designed as a trade disruption program, not a price support program. That obviously contrasted with the views of several members of the Ag, the Ag Committee, including Ranking Member Mike Conaway of Texas, who basically said, unless something gives here very soon, an announcement of an MFP3 will also be absolutely vital to the survival of our producers. Uh, Purdue then acknowledged that any decision on round three of an MFP program will ultimately be made by President Trump, who has already expressed willingness to provide growers with additional assistance if the current trade atmosphere does not improve. So again, just another recognition that multiple options are being discussed and considered and that not all of them are on the table at this point. So uh, as usual, stay tuned. Yeah, well, just, just like our update on this in the last <coughs> podcast, there's just a little bit of mixed mes- mixed messages coming out of D.C. Uh, at the moment on that thing. So just, some, just something we got to continue watching. Again, if I'm a farmer and I feel like I'm going to need that MFP to get by this year, um, if I had to have one person who was on the side of saying it, it will likely happen, it would be Trump, and that's the side that he's on. I mean, he at least he tweeted as right. much um, just about a week ago, right. a couple and, of weeks ago. And as I understand it, Secretary Purdue has, uh, has several more appointments uh, set before committees on, uh, on Capitol Hill within the next week. So I'm sure this is a topic that is not going to go away anytime soon. Right. Correct. So, all right, Jim, I believe that was your last That's item it. there. So uh, we want to hold you there so that we can have time for this interview that you conducted with our buddy O.A. Cleveland. He is a professor emeritus of economics at Mississippi State University. Again, he had a very frank um column out of his analysis of the cotton market about a week and a half ago so we wanted to no it was just a week ago a week ago yes and uh yeah we wanted to get his thoughts and let him really kind of uh stretch out on those thoughts and uh, give us all of his what what the tea leaves that he's reading so uh, without further ado we will dive right in and bring y'all that clip right now welcome to this episode's market segment Since our last podcast, we've seen another preliminary guess regarding 2020 cotton acres, and we've had a couple of sobering explanations of what cotton growers might expect in 2020. Obviously, all that in addition to stock market reactions to coronavirus and other factors. To help us sort some of this out, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, Professor Emeritus of Agricultural Economics at Mississippi State University, is joining us again to provide his current perspective on this. O.A., thanks for visiting with us again today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Okay. Uh, we're going to get right to it. Uh, you recently wrote a market column, I think here within the past week, stating that so far we've missed this market as bad as we have ever missed anything, and you provided a number of reasons why. Can you explain the shift in your, your thinking for us and, and where, how you came to these conclusions? Well, sure, Jim. I will attempt to anyway. We look at what uh, some might call uh, the legacy fundamentals, the typical supply-demand weather prices with respect to seed and inputs and yields and, and, and uh, normal demand factors, normal 
weather problems. And uh, we were actually, in my opinion, on a decent track to uh, 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 to have a good uh, crop situation coupled with a better than average market situation. Uh, our demand was starting to see some growth, but all of a sudden this, this health concern showed up, this virus, uh, coronavirus showed up, and it began to take... Uh, uh, it's told with respect to demand because Chinese textile workers being sick uh, had to walk off from their jobs and uh, all of a sudden the textile operations either shut down completely or semi-shut down. And this is, of course, is the world's largest textile industry. It's one of the primary importers of cotton around the globe. So just overnight it became obvious that we were not going to consume as much cotton certainly in China, but around the world that we thought we would consume. And this particular virus, being entirely new and unknown, uh, began to spread considerably like wildfire. We have to, if I can inject this, stay away from the chaotic situation, but at the same time, we have to try to present a real-life picture as to what's going on. Mm -hmm. But our demand just melted away. Uh, we still have a number of Chinese textile operations that are not open. The big Xinjiang area, the great northwest uh, area where cotton is uh, being pushed uh, with respect to growing, and that's where the milling is beginning to occur. Uh, you maybe have as many as half of those plants operating now, and they are operating probably at about only 50% capacity. Mm -hmm. So in the big scheme, you've only got about 25% of the Chinese textile industry operating. That means 75% of the cotton we've been pushing through those plants uh, is sitting on the shelf, so to speak, or sitting in the warehouse that's not being used. So it's just jerked demand out from under this market. Now, there's been a great, uh, there already was a great transition trying to move cotton consumption, textile consumption out of China, but it mm -hmm. simply cannot move that fast. So what we're seeing, while we do, do continue to see some good numbers, uh, export numbers going into China, we're not seeing, A, the textile uh, uh, products coming out of China, we're, and also, we're not seeing the cotton go into the textile mills. So we should begin now to see USDA drop its estimate of Chinese cotton consumption uh, this month. We saw them drop it a good bit last month. We'll see it drop another time or two uh, as, as, as we see this. People are out of work. Uh, people that are out of work are not going to go back close. The price ratios that we're seeing now favor grains much more so than cotton grains right. and oil seeds. Uh, and that just tells us we're going to cut back on production as well. So we're taking a hit both from the supply side and the demand side. And it's a, it's a situation I certainly never remember seeing before. And the way it's spreading across the globe very slowly but very continuously uh, I'm certainly not going to dare jump into the medical impact, have no knowledge, no, no capabilities there, but just seeing plants closed tells us that we have to be very careful of one thing, and, and that is a demand continuing to slip. Mm -hmm. We'll get back on top of it, and we'll have some good cotton years here in a year or two, but we're going to have some struggles this year. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that, yes, this is this is a, a major health concern, obviously, for uh you know, for for the countries that are that are dealing with it on a much regular basis, and certainly from what we're starting to see in in the U.S., but 
to to a, a, I guess a much bigger extent, it's pretty much an economic illness right now. I think probably so. Outside of the health issue, it is a major economic illness. We've seen the uh, the Fed already step in and lower interest rates. Everyone is trying to jockey the economy somewhat, and it's. Uh, I think it's a real tribute to the U.S. economy that we've actually held up as well as we have. Uh, and we continue to see forecasts that are actually pretty good on a relative basis. Uh, and these major losses that we have had in these index numbers or with, with numbers that measure the health of the economy, we're still as well off as we were back in November and December just a few months ago. So the big hits, while they've been heavy and all but unknown before, we're, we're still in pretty good shape. But we've got to watch this supply uh, chain. We, we, we continue to anticipate there are going to be more dis- disruptions with respect to the distribution of goods and services throughout the economy, not only textile but other goods and services. Right. Well, you, you, you mentioned the, uh, the textile industry and some of the movement and shifts that you're starting to see moving out of China. Does, does this open up opportunities for other countries like Mexico or uh, you know, other countries in the, in the Far East that, that might, be, uh, might be willing to take some of this on? Yes, it, it, it's opening some great opportunities for some countries. First, looking at uh, Pakistan and Turkey, mm-hmm. China. China has actually had the, uh, the had command of the European textile market. They have supplied everything. But now, what we're seeing is we're seeing China step in. Excuse me. We're seeing Turkey and Pakistan both step in. Uh, Turkey being in the, in the Union and, and, and Pakistan having most favored nation status with the European Union. Right. They will, in fact, take the, that textile market away from China. So China's still looking for what it's going to do, and it's going to draw down some. But uh, the U.S. has a man, I mean, has a customer next door, uh, has a huge transportation advantage in Mexico. Mm-hmm. The United States developed the Mexican textile industry. There's much more room there for the U.S. to move down and expand its textile operations in Mexico, particularly with the new NAFTA, as I'll call it. And, and and when you look at that, Turkey and Pakistan have turned into some of our major customers over the last year, correct? Major customers. Turkey had been, has been off and on our major customer. It's still marginally. I think they've stepped back in now to being our major customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turkey has uh, is a great production area. They've had they have seen, uh, problems, some virus problems. Uh, have a great climate. Uh, but at the same time, they, the, the virus problems have limited their production. But they've built a very impressive textile industry, and they were supplying a lot of yarn to China. Mm-hmm. And now they're beginning to supply yarn to other countries. Uh, and as I say, they're, they're beginning to finish more yarn in, in, in uh, textile products, uh, exporting that directly into Europe. So uh, these have been big firms. They are come to the U.S. for cotton. They're solid U.S. customers. We have to fight to keep them. Sure. Uh, but uh, they, have, they have alleviated uh, as much as anything. The all They've totally all, I hate to say totally, that's a huge word, and all but eliminated any tariff impact that uh, uh, exports to China, those that we did not get to make, uh, took, uh, took, took out of the market on a price perspective basis. So we did find other markets. We'll keep uh, looking for them. We'll stay there. Good, good. Now, you mentioned, obviously, we, we, see, we saw prices drop back into the 60s after, you know, 
the warm sunshine rays of, of getting back into the 70s, uh, and you said it's going to take a while. How, how long do you think it's going to take at this point to see prices move back, start moving back up and growers start breathing a little bit easier? Well, I think let's first well, the, the, the next big report we always anticipate uh, is the market planning intentions. Well, that's going on right now. That's right. the data being collected. I'm not uh, thought it is. It's not going to mean a great deal. We always want that report and we'll look forward to it, but it's just too much turmoil, too much chaos right now in, mm-hmm. in the market. Uh, and again, we've mentioned just very briefly that the price ratio is favored all seeds and grain, corn over cotton in the mid-south and southeast now. So we've got to anticipate a smaller uh, planted area than what we were anticipating. So that's going to have to work its way through the market. And before we get a good handle on, in my opinion, on crop size, we're going to have to get into June and probably the June uh, planting intentions or the June, excuse me, the June planting report. Uh, at the same time, we'll continue to have good export sales. But we still have uh, 5.5, 5.4 million bales of cotton in carryover. I think that's going to come down as much as 200,000. But we may lose some export markets. Now, we had a fantastic export market, and this gets into, the, in my opinion, the impact on the uh, coronavirus. We had an excellent report uh, Thursday, this morning. Mm-hmm. sold a record amount of cotton for the year. We exported a record number of bales for the year, market year high. And where the market did it went down. So it just tells us that these typical fundamentals that we see that would send the market higher because of concerns or losing of overall economic activity struggling around the world, it just tells us prices are in trouble. And this is a, it's so deep, it's so ingrained, it, it appears to me that it's going to run its course through the entire production year and into calendar year 2021. Okay. Well, now, we know we, we just finished the Mid South Farm and Gin Show here in, in Memphis, and Joe Nicosia of Louis Dreyfus Commodities did his annual market uh, outlook presentation, and and basically, I mean, he's saying a lot of the same things you are in terms of the markets and, and sort of the impact of, of the virus, coronavirus, uh, but he also went as far as basically suggesting growers just buy a cotton call this year to protect their ARC or PLC payments, and then look for a more profitable oilseed crop to grow. Do you kind of agree or disagree with that? Is that a good a good a good move for growers this year? Well Joe certainly is my friend I think I have a challenge that but uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of reason to agree with that. Uh, we we like to get the home run years in cotton. It's just but but the, those home run years in cotton come from demand based years. Right. This is what we're talking about. We're we're suffering from from demand. So if we've got some good land, we can get good bean yield. Uh, yes, that that would be a very strong uh, position to take. The Chinese are indicating that they're going to be good buyers of soybeans, and I think that will be their first product that they'll want as opposed to cotton this year. I think they'll continue to buy cotton now, so they're going to plant less cotton themselves. But uh, the, the oil seeds do appear to have... Uh, an edge. There'll be more money going into food products than anything else. Simply for no other reason, because they want to try to make sure they can maintain a healthy food supply. Sure. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. Now I think we're going we're going to attempt to put a lot of corn in the southeast and the mid south, but uh, 
uh, we may have to get a rowboat to plant that corn. So I don't know. I think we're going to end up with a lot more beans than we're anticipating. Uh, so, you know, anytime we jump a few up and plant another crop, uh, we might, we do go by that cotton call, and I think that is a good idea from the standpoint because we won't plant the cotton that we think we have. Exports will remain, if not very good, they'll still be good. So there's a, there, there will be some upside potential come harvest time or come, come, come late, late winter for cotton and then the next year, early spring. But at the same time, I think that demand for grains is going to be there. And if we if we're going to plant grains, if we're going to take that strategy, it's a bit of a gamble. So if we're going to take that strategy, find the bean price that you like, and go ahead and fix the price of some of those beans. Just mm-hmm. don't do it naked and planning on you know hitting the home run with beans. Go ahead and price some for sure. Great. Oh, wait, I know we could sit and talk about this all day, but we're 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 running up against our time limit. I want to thank you again for taking time to visit with us. Um, Obviously, as much as this market situation is going to continue to change and evolve, I'm pretty sure we'll be back in touch with you again pretty soon. It's always my pleasure. Y'all have a great one. Thank you, O.A. Now back to the rest of the Cotton Companion. So, all right, we want to give a big thank you to O.A., who, again, has been a great friend of the American cotton producer through the years and is always so gracious with his time when we ask him for stuff and so sharp in his analysis. Okay, so that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank Phytogen and Cotton Incorporated for sponsoring us, and we want to thank you, dear listener, sincerely for joining us. Uh, If you like what you're hearing, tell your buddies about us. They can get to us in three easy ways. Go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion. You can find every episode we've ever put out. That's 67 of them at this point. Uh, The second way, you can subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever it is that you find podcasts these days. Simply search for The Cotton Companion. The third way, the best way, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News. You can do that by going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Uh, We hope that you are enjoying our latest issue, which should be the March issue. If it has not hit your mailboxes at this point, it should within the next few days. This podcast is produced by Mr. Tyler Hatch. He works at the mothership Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I'm going to be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Jim Stedman, we wish you and your farm all the best. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com. <laughs>